I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent from FT Money and over the next 10 minutes or so I'll be bringing you the weekly financial lowdown in downloadable form. And this week we have a special pre-budget report programme telling you what all the Chancellor's changes to inheritance tax and capital gains tax will mean for you. So let's have a look at what's coming up in the show. We'll be looking at inheritance tax. There hasn't been a tax cut as such, but there is a new system to help you use your tax allowances. Patricia Mock, who's Private Client Services Director at Deloitte, joins us to explain how it works. We also have a look at the new flat rate for capital gains tax with John Whiting of PwC and John McLeod of Investors Chronicle asks if offshore bonds still offer any tax planning opportunities after the Chancellor's changes. And do remember that you can send in your financial questions for us to answer by emailing us at ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. So let's start with inheritance tax. On Tuesday, the Chancellor announced an apparent doubling of the inheritance tax allowances, or nil rate bans as they're known, from £300,000 to £600,000. But is that actually the case? And how do you go about maximising the amount of your estate that you can protect from an inheritance tax. Well, I'm delighted to say that here to answer all of those questions and to make it all seem far more straightforward than the Chancellor did is uh, Patricia Mock, um, who's Private Client Services Director at Deloitte. Um, Patricia, so what did the Chancellor actually do with inheritance tax allowances on Tuesday? Well, Matthew, although it's been announced in the press as a doubling, it doesn't really work like that. What the changes mean is that on the death of a spouse, typically, if there are not a lot of joint assets or not a lot of assets in the family, most, or if not all, will be left to the surviving spouse. And therefore, the nil rate band on the first death won't be used. What the changes mean is that on the death of the second spouse, the unused nil rate band from the first death can be claimed as well as that spouse's own nil rate band. So effectively a couple can get a band of £600,000. So if the first spouse that I doesn't use the £300,000 uh, nil rate band, it can transfer over 
to the survivor, and that's where you get the £600,000 figure from. That's right. And the people that will, this will mainly be of interest to are people whose asset, who have very little in the way of assets other than the family house. So it hasn't been appropriate or very easy to undertake planning to leave the nil rate band to children, for example. So people in that category will see a saving of um, £120,000 at current rates. But it has to be said that a lot of people with, with assets other than the family house have already been advised to set up nil rate band trusts in their wills and so will not see any saving at all from the changes. That's a question that we've, that we've had from uh, a number of readers, in fact. Those who have done some planning, they've created a will that will transfer assets into a nil rate band trust on the death of the first spouse. Do they need to undo these arrangements or can they just keep them in place? Well, I think they've got three options there. They can rewrite their wills uh, just to undo the arrangements, leave the assets straight to the surviving spouse, or they can leave the nil rate band discretionary trust planning in place because, of course, this can always be unwound after death, within two years of death, with no tax charges. Or if there are sufficient assets that the spouse is unlikely to need, then it might be quite helpful from a tax planning point of view to keep the trust running, to move assets down further generations to children and grandchildren with limited charges to tax in the trust. And another feature of the changes that were announced um, was the backdating of this transferability of nil rate bans for widows you know, who, who had a spouse who's already died. How will that work? Right, the way that works is that the change applies to anyone who died on or after Tuesday, 9th of October. If they were widowed already, then the surplus nil rate band, if any, from the previous spouse's death can be claimed, and that will be claimed by the people dealing with their estate, their personal representatives. And the unused part of uh, a spouse's nil rate band, will that be at the £300,000 rate, or is that the rate that was in force when the first spouse died? Mm. Well, the devil's always in the detail. It will be at the rate that's in force, in fact, when the second spouse dies, but it's not as simple as just using the unused amount. It's actually the unused proportion. So if the nil rate ban was 300,000 when the first spouse died and 150,000 was unused, then when the second spouse dies, you get a half, i.e. 150 over 300, of whatever the nil rate band is at that date. That's a really interesting point that I don't think has come out. So obviously, as you say, the devil's in the detail and you need to look very closely. Um, just finally, one other question that I think some people have been asking is, um, what if you've been married several times? Does this mean that you, that you can get nil rate bans from all of your previous husbands or, or <laughs> wives? I'm sure it can't be as simple as that. I don't think we'll be seeing an industry of marrying for the nil rate bans. You can get surplus nil rate bans from more than one spouse um, but there is a capping mechanism so that you don't get more than one extra nil rate band. I should also say that if your spouse died before um, capital transfer tax now inheritance tax came in which is 1972 then the rules are different. So there's still no incentive 
for getting married over and over and over again. Not tax incentives, no. <laughs> well, Patricia, thank you very much for making sense of uh, a very complicated issue and answering lots of questions that I know that our listeners and readers uh, have been asking. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Still to come in the programme, offshore bonds. Are there still any tax advantages for UK investors? But first, capital gains tax. Now, from next April, instead of paying tax at 40% on gains above the personal allowance and then applying taper relief, depending on how long you've held a particular asset, there's going to be a new flat rate for capital gains tax of 18%. And this sounds like a good thing for shareholders, second homeowners and buy-to-let investors. But is it as simple as that? Well, to tell us all of the ins and outs and the winners and losers, I'm delighted to be joined by John Whiting of PwC. John, there are some winners here, surely, uh, and who are they? There are indeed winners, of course, as losers, and we'll come back to that. Firstly, in many ways, the winners are an awful lot of people who will suddenly find capital gains tax simpler. It's notoriously complex at the moment. There is a simplification dividend here, sweeping away taper relief, which confuses a lot of people. But burrow underneath that, and of course this flat 18% rate, which is, as it were, fixed then who wins on that? Well, of course, anybody who is going to be paying a higher rate. And the biggest category here is people with second properties, buy-to-lets. They are people who currently might be paying 40% or possibly getting down to 24%, going down to 18%. That's good. People who've got a few shares, um, not in their employer, just general shares in the ordinary market, they'll get a cut-in rate, although, to be fair, a lot of those would, of course, have managed their gains rate down to nil by using the annual exemption. But it can't be a case of everyone's a winner. It never is in these instances. So who are those people who are going to potentially end up with higher capital gains tax bills? Given that this is overall a tax-raising measure, yes, some are going to lose. And, of course, the ones who are really losing are those who look at a 10% rate. Those can be people with shares in their employing company. But I think the main category here is the small business, the entrepreneur... They're looking at their own business, which they were, well, expecting at some stage to sell out and get a 10% rate. And indeed, some of them are old enough to remember when they'd get out for nothing when retirement relief was in place. Well, that was replaced by taper relief, 10% rate, seen as a modest little take, if you like, for the government. Suddenly, that's going. They're looking at an 18% rate. That's, well, obviously almost a doubling. It's, I think, causing a lot of people to think, well, should I get out now before this rate comes in in April? So there there could be some almost forced sales of businesses before April 2008 just to to, to avoid this increase in tax? Well, I think there may be a few accelerations. I mean, I'd hope that people don't, in too many cases, just generate something because an 8% increase in tax rate to get a much lower proceeds may not be good. Equally, of course, people with shares in AIM companies who counted as unquoted, counted for the business asset taper, those shareholdings will also see a lifting of the tax rate in many cases. And it seems odd that there's now going to be this differential um, between shares on the uh, the main market, shares in AIM stocks traditionally considered slightly higher risk, and so the tax treatment in the past used to... Uh, almost incentivise people to take on these risks. Now they could be penalised. 
do you think this was the intention behind this this uh, this change? Well, you do wonder because you're absolutely right, Matthew. Because the basis of the taper relief was right. There are riskier things over here. We'll encourage you with a lower rate, and also if you hold it longer. That was another part of taper relief. Hold it longer, take risks, then you'll pay a lower rate. What we've now got is a system that says, oh, flat rate. And let's not forget, as we said earlier, that's simple. It's easily understandable. The thing is, well, people will look at it and say, well, why should I take the risks? And I think this is where the entrepreneurs, the people who are trying to build their own business, are going to feel a little bruised. And so there are going to be some decisions to make for entrepreneurs, for certain types of shareholder between now and April next year. And whether, longer term, whether this is really a good thing, is this a good atmosphere in which to build a business? Or, dare one say it, in some cases, should I either not do it or should I go somewhere else? Well, you mentioned the, the danger of people possibly going abroad, and I suppose originally the, the aim behind these changes was to, was to target private equity, so-called fat cats. Is this really doing that, though? Undoubtedly, the changes had private equity in mind and trying to get a bigger tax take out of the private equity industry without scaring them abroad because it's a very mobile business. It's a business that's done a lot for the UK economy. In many ways, it's quite a shrewd move there. The danger is that in aiming the gun at the private equity market, it's a moot question as to whether they even hit it. Well, they've certainly grazed it. But one feels that rather than pick up the target rifle, the Chancellor picked up a blunderbuss and sort of splattered an awful lot of other targets. So slightly random dose of buckshot that's hit quite a few taxpayers who weren't expecting to be hit. And so you have to think about how you're going to go about treating your buckshot wounds between now and next April. Indeed. And also, of course, some people will say, well, the buckshot has missed me and actually I'll wait until next April. So it does come down that, OK, capital gains tax is going to be simple, but there's a good deal of thinking and rethinking as to people's plans because, of course, people planned on the basis of a regime that they thought was in place. We've got a radical shift, and that is, particularly in business circles, going to cause quite a bit of thinking to be needed. Well, it sounds like we're going to be coming back to this topic uh, in the weeks and months ahead. So, John Whiting from PwC, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Matthew. And for a complete guide to the pre-budget report and how it affects your finances, see this week's FT Money out on Saturday the 13th of October. And finally today, we take a look at offshore bonds. Now, both offshore and onshore bonds have been popular with investors as they allow opportunities for tax planning. But changes to the capital gains tax regime that we've discussed earlier in the programme uh, may have reduced their attraction now. So we asked John McLeod of Investors Chronicle to call up James Davis of IFA Chartwell to find out more. Could you explain what investment bonds are and also why they've been popular with investors in the past? Well, in terms of um, what investment bonds actually are, they are single premium whole of life contracts. But that essentially means they are a collection of um, investment funds within a life insurance wrapper. Why are they popular? Well, I think that they are popular for a number of reasons. They have an advantageous tax position for people who are currently high rate taxpayers, but who are um, perhaps suspect that they might be basic rate taxpayers in the future, possibly um, in retirement. And they also, because of the way they're structured, often allow people to get an additional allocation um, on their investments. So, uh, for example, on investments of 50,000 going in, you might actually purchase 
thousand pounds worth of investments, obviously a, an, an uplift there. So I think that's part of the reason why they've become so popular as well. You explained that if you become a basic rate of taxpayer, then that can reduce your liabilities. Could you go into a bit more detail on that, please? Because I, I believe it's different if it's onshore or offshore. In terms of the, 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 the taxation of the bond, the tax rules are that the, they're deemed to be um, taxed onshore 20% at source. So obviously if you're a high-rate taxpayer, um, you would normally be paying 40% on income tax, whereas obviously with an investment bond, while it's within the fund, you're only paying 20% tax. The additional 20% only would become liable um, at either point of surrender or if, there's a, or if there's an actual set maturity on the bond. So for a high-rate taxpayer onshore, you've got a potential um, tax saving there of 20%. In terms of offshore, there's, um, because the tax in the bond is paid gross, there is a potential there that if you are not going to be a high-rate taxpayer in, in future, the saving within the bond could be a lot greater, so it could actually be quite significantly more than 20%. Now that the capital gains tax is going to fall to flat 18%, do you think that's taken some of the attraction away from investment bonds? I think that it has. Um, I think that collective investments... Um, so you'd be looking at, say, um, unit trusts there. Um, they now appear to be more tax-efficient than, than investment bonds, um, especially for high-rate taxpayers, because uh, the gain made within an, uh, an investment bond could now be up to 40% um, taxable offshore um, or 20% taxable onshore, you know, whereas the um, flat gain on a collective investment or um, perhaps an individual share is only going to be 18% regardless of your tax bracket and um, again that's only for gains over your personal allowance of 9,200. You can also take 5% um, tax free or tax deferred from, as income from, from investment bonds so will, will that still be advantageous? Yeah I think it will become less advantageous I mean there's always been an argument to say that people should use their capital gains tax allowance more because you are potentially able to take up to £9,200 from any collective investment and tax-free. But I think that argument becomes more powerful. And if, for example, you had a £100,000 which you had to invest and you wanted to draw an income from that, under the investment bond route, you're able to draw £5,000 each year, so 5% tax-deferred. Now, you're deemed to still be paying 20% tax on that, regardless of whether you're a basic rate or high rate taxpayer. That's obviously why it becomes more, it's been more popular for high rate taxpayers. However, if you were to invest £100,000 in, say, a collective investment, so a, a, a similar type of underlying investment, you can effectively draw £9,200 tax free, providing you've got a gain there. So, from a position where you're paying £9,200 tax free, or £5,000 and you're paying 20%. That is a clear advantage from a tax point of view. Where the investment bond route has previously suited people, it's been quite straightforward and quite easy and relatively simple to understand, um, particularly when compared to the rules regarding capital gains tax, where you've had all sorts of different types of relief. You can have it, um, indexation, taper relief, um, the number of years you hold it as well comes in account in taper relief. So... The simplicity now of the CD2 rules versus the relatively more complex rules regarding investment bonds, um, I think will lessen certainly the appeal of investment bond for 
not only people seeking growth, but also people seeking that 5% income as well. That was James Davis of the independent financial advice firm Chartwell. And that's all for this week's FT Money Show. Do remember that you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com and we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from our podcast producers, Blue Barracuda. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.